Hey, do you know? Here, here. First thing I want to read to you. Mm -hmm. Joseph Heck says, I've been enjoying listening to the podcast for a while. This is a nice change to be able to see you two as well. Because we're now on YouTube. Uh, we're also we in are. your ear. Hi. Dave, Hi. it's fantastic to see you. How are you doing? That's great to see you too, Daniel. Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good. And yeah, it's good to uh, get listener. Well, it's not even listener feedback now. It's viewer feedback um, on <laughs> YouTube. Chat what, chat, what do we think about that? <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, but it's also a lot of fun. I, I, I yeah, I, I did not expect switching to video and audio to kind of be as immediately a fun thing. It uh, is a fun I think thing, it helps yeah. that it, it helps that we've had video um, forever talking to each other. I think as well, the service we use to record all of this, we've all, we've had our respective video feeds to see each other with for a little while now. Uh, and I like that because it means I get the visual of what you're up to as well and we can give each other feedback. But it's, it's nice to share that with uh, listeners as well. It is. We are insanely <laughs> grateful for all of uh, all of the comments you, you post on YouTube and all of the emails that you send us and all of the uh, Mastodon comments that you send us, which are not super many, but we're, uh, that's um, especially where we're so happy. And we're going to continue reading yeah. them out on the show as long as I feel feel like doing that basically <laughs> um and on that note hey welcome to waiting for review a show about the majestic indie developer lifestyle join our scintillating hosts dave and daniel and let's hear about a tiny slice of their thrilling lives join us while waiting for review dave i've been hey. waiting for not for review but for my um database server for the last I want to say six months um, mm -hmm. because every now and then it would, it would just crash and not produce proper data. And uh, we call this the thorny data problem. Like uh, I think the first episode that where I told you about this was actually called thorny data because you coined that term and mm -hmm. I love it. And um, <laughs> I now finally have it. I, I, I had it. I reached a point where I could reproduce the problem. I've boiled it mm -hmm. down finally to a single line of JSON that is about, I don't know, 40 characters long. It's just uh, two properties. One is a timestamp that just needs to be there for the database to accept the data at all. And the other one is a key and, the, and a value. The key is called A, comma, B. The value doesn't matter. Like the, the comma and the key is, the, is what crashes everything. Right. Okay. And so that is, is that, finally is is that uh, legit, Jason? <laughs> well, at least not is that none key of the legit, Jason. None of the JSON parsing code that I've used to parse the JSON so far has ever rejected it. And I think so. That code only has been touched by the Python JSON parser, which I use in the ingest API. Maybe the mm -hmm. Swift JSON parser would have rejected it. I don't know. Like someone else on Mastodon, when I told this story, actually asked the same question. Is that legal JSON? I don't know. Uh, either way, commas <laughs> are now replaced by underscores in keys. In fact, I have a, um, a list of allowed characters and everything else will be replaced by an underscore in the key. Um, because, uh, yeah, um, I don't want to like, like take six months and then find the next character that's thorny. <laughs> 
And no. with that, I finally managed to uh, file a report or a, a bug issue actually with um, with Apache Druid with um, the, the the time series database that I use. And yep. ah, it feels so good to finally have have that um, down so far. Uh, in in that um, actually, I can I can really see the problem. And I like because at the beginning, I would just have have to like sit around and wait and wait until the problem maybe showed up or not. Then after some time, I could like see like individual days were affected by the problem. So if I would like uh, ask the system to re-ingest or reload one of those days, then that would crash. Uh, but that still takes like, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 minutes to load. And now finally I can like immediately make, immediately make the thing crash. And that uh, allows me <laughs> to actually write a bug report. Uh, yep. It's... Uh, Apache slash Droid issue 15736. I'm going to link it to the show notes just because I'm so incredibly yeah, proud of it. Um, yeah. Well, and... I'm very glad to hear that, Daniel. <laughs> like, this has been a... I mean, it's given us something to to uh, talk back to on the show and to kind of uh, keep digging into each time. But I've been kind of gathering your... Uh, your frustration with this as well and the difficulty of the um, oh, yeah. oh. the the debugging itself is a round trip of like 15 20 minutes of time right as you sort of try and figure yeah. this out yeah and so yeah i've learned a lot on the way but uh, <laughs> i'm really glad i'm really glad i'm this i'm this far um only downside now is this um, so I'm hoping that this will actually uh, increase the stability a lot. And so I can go back to actually working on features and or uh, performance. Um, mm -hmm. Only downside is this. Um, there was a time last weekend when I thought I had found the issue, uh, but my fix was too broad. Like I just said, told you that I have a list of allowed characters and I'm just going to make sure that the keys only contain a character. I applied that thing to both keys and values at first because I right. thought it was in the values and only afterwards I dug deeper because I wanted to prevent mm -hmm. the problem from spreading because, ah, two stories I need to tell. Okay. So I wanted to spread, uh, stop the problem from spreading because at first all the thorny data that telemetry deck has uh, came from two very tiny apps. Um, I think I taught you, told you this last, last time already. Um, yeah. So I was, yeah. Like I was able to say like, okay, um, just special case, those two app IDs and that's fine. Um, but now suddenly new thorny data, data came in and it crashed immediately like on ingestion. So the, the, the error, the error was actually different in that, uh, when the thorny data is in the historical data, then retrieving data doesn't work, which is bad. But if the error is in the data yep. that comes in, in the message queue, then just like new signals won't arrive. They will just like pile up in the message queue. <laughs> also not very fun. Oh, no. So people would just okay. like be like, ah, oh, the last the last data I'm, I'm seeing is like five hours old. What's going on? Um, right. So and that was an actual um that was an actual live app with like from a from a larger customer that that has more than a few a few users. So I was like, okay, I can't just like um, not deal with this. So yeah. I had a look at the data and there were commas in the, in the keys and the values. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I, um, I'm, I just right now assuming because, um, the error message that I get, the crash 
you have to dig a bit. You have to dig first into the one log file that tells you which server the problem is. And then you look, look at, at that server's log file that tells you which file the log is in. And then you can open that file and that is the, the log. And there, there you have an exception. The exception kind of quotes part of a signal. So if I search for that string, mm -hmm. I get like one specific signal and that always contained a comma. And so what's over here? I'm going to replace both keys and values, like all the all the characters that are not in this list of allowed characters. I'm, I'm going to replace them with an underscore, and that is then that then that's fine, right? And the allowed characters is like A to Z or A to Z uh, in both upper and lowercase, uh, all the all the numbers <laughs> and um, underscores, maybe one or two more. Turns out that was very overzealous. For example, um, uh, like we, we offer, for example, the ability to like tell you which operating system you're running on, and the operating system is iOS yep. underscore fourteen or iOS underscore not underscore iOS space seventeen Comma. or iOS space sixteen. And so that is okay, actually yeah. um, that's gets filtered out. Like, now, now that's like in the database. The database contains things like iOS space underscore sixteen, which is a completely different string than iOS space sixteen. So you suddenly have more operating systems, which is kind of weird. And then also, mm -hmm. yeah, which iPhone do you have? You have an iPhone thirteen comma two, and that yes. suddenly says <laughs> iPhone thirteen underscore two. And that was that's what like made me made me like say like stop wait. Uh, this has been a mistake. This was definitely a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I went too far and I rewrote that, that data. And so what do I do now? The answer is, uh, I, uh, first of all, I, I, I do the thing that I now always do when something is wrong on the server or something is wrong in a very important part of the system that is not just code, which is I open Notion and begin a new document and just write down my thoughts, my assumptions, and all the error messages that I have. Like, this is a fantastic tool. And I told you about this last time as well, but like, I'm, I'm continuing doing this. Yeah. And it's like just so incredibly helpful. And so I was like, okay, first of all, I'm going to revert that change where I replace, like where I replace the, the, the characters so, uh, so aggressively, um, obviously it's producing uh, broken data. So, uh, I don't want that. I don't want that to happen anymore. And then, and so I was like, okay, if that, that one app is sending more signals, then so be it. Then I will have to fix them using the old methods that I have now learned and that are in another notion document. Um, but. Uh, with mm -hmm. that, I, and, and then I'd really tried, and I was like, okay, and now I really need to dig down as much as possible and really, really just find yep. where this problem is. And so I, I finally, um, I, I went to the documentation, found out, um, various other forms of loading data into the system. And one of them is actually where you can just paste a single signal into a text box, and then it will just like start the whole process and try to like parse and ingest that single signal. And so I could actually prove yep. to myself that, oh yeah, that is the signal that is actually breaking the thing. And so from then on, it became a, uh, yep. just, a, just a process of paring down that signal further and further down until I had it down to one key value pair or two, if you count for the timestamp. And then uh, I could play around mm -hmm. with that, those strings and prove to myself, yes, it doesn't matter what the value is. If the key has a comma, that is what's producing the thing. And so that, and th so th then I could really create the right amount of um, 
data changing, data data um, fixing uh, for the ingest server, which is uh, have a list of allowed characters for the keys, uh, but not for the values. Well, the values also have allowed characters, but that's like way wider. Um, so yeah, <laughs> now I have two and a half days of data that is not perfectly right. And that bugs me. <laughs> Uh, so I loaded the data. Uh, I wanted to download the data, but it's, it turns out it takes takes a day to just download it to my computer. So instead, I, I, op I created a VM in the cloud and uh, added a three mm -hmm. terabyte hard, hard or virtual hard drive to it. And so what I've done today is I wrote said scripts, said SED, um, yep, um, which is a it's the Unix stream editor. That's what SED stands for, I think. And um, okay, yeah, that will that just just uh, basically regexes that will uh, find the broken data, or at least as as much as I can, like describe with regex, find the broken data where I'm like all yep. those instances where I'm really sure that what 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 is actually broken and in what way, and then try to set it right. And uh, yeah, so as we are, like I have tried this out with um, smaller sets of the data and as we are speaking, actually, it is running on the thing in a screen session because if my SSH just disconnects, otherwise it will be broken. And we are, let me check, yep. uh, we are at about 75%. So it might actually finish by the time we're actually finishing. And so then I will have on, oh, the, awesome. on that hard drive, I will have fixed data. And then like, I will have to re-ingest it, of course, but that's also, that's, I'm a, I'm a absolute professional of that. So my life, <laughs> which has been, which has been like, has had, has had so much frustration because of this bug for the last half year. And for the last month, for the whole month of January, like this problem has been actively frustrating me and like robbing me of nights and weekends. Our long yeah, national that's, nightmare that's Dave, rough. is finally over. Yep. You are finally getting these thorns out of your side, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> just everything is just a tiny oh. bit nicer. Excellent, excellent, and and that's and what a way to to go into the rest of the year, right? Yeah. When you've managed to slay <laughs> one of these long-standing things, I'm trying to turn it into a positive for you, Daniel. I know how frustrating oh, it's been so happy. this time. I am so happy. Yeah. Like, I, of course, I would have loved to find this earlier. Um, especially like I am a reasonably experienced software engineer, right? I should be able to debug stuff. Uh, and mm -hmm. now that I know the solution, I'm like, I, I'm going back into my notes and finding that, oh yeah, at the very beginning I had an inkling that, oh yeah, maybe I will look into, in, into this part of the log or whatever. And had I done yep. that and then followed up directly, then I would have like found this way earlier. But, um, yeah, sometimes it just takes a while. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to go around the long way to then really, really feel like you've landed it and to understand <laughs> uh, the issue. Again, like, okay, I'm trying to turn this into a, into a positive. It is a positive. Um, but sort of thinking about everybody listening in, like we've all had these moments, like in the course of a, a, a dev career of any length, you do end up with these sort of like, um, 
I want to say almost kind of Moby Dick kind of esque uh, bug hunts. <laughs> um, I've run run into a few with the, the with Guy VJ with my video mixer at because um, AV Foundation has got a lot of different bits to it. It is absolutely possible to um, to cause things to stutter if you block the main thread with video. Uh, it's very, very easy to end up in that sort of an issue. Uh, and certainly in my first round of dev back back in 2014, uh, obviously devices were not as powerful as they are now. It was very, very easy to do stuff that would then end up with a random like um, frame drop. Or in my case, the one that, that, that was similar to your situation, I think, in terms of the, the time it took and the the type of issue um was that i had a, a an issue with when you hit when you start playing a video um it would have a lot of lag before it oh. played it's yeah. frustrating so if you think about what what's going on with like a, a, a an app like mine you want to press the button and the video plays right you don't want any latency at all um in fact, I never really solved it back in 2015. Um, it's kind of amusing if I think about it. I I quote unquote solved it uh, by having a drag and drop uh, paradigm on my okay. user interface, right? Ah. <laughs> so yeah, well, drag... sometimes that's the that's the solution, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. I mean, it kind of was the solution, and and so you know, if if you think you sort of pressed on the video to select it and then would drag it up into one of the slots to mm -hmm. play it on either channel. Uh, that was just enough um, kind of latency in the user interaction that people didn't notice the latency in the video actually Fantastic. starting. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? <laughs> um, when I was a young boy, I used to play a game called Wing Commander. I think Wing Commander 4, maybe, or 3, something like that. And mm -hmm. famously, Wing Commander was the game that whenever you selected quit game, um, they discovered during development that that would uh, cause a crash. And so the user would go back to the command line. That was back in the days of the DOS command line. The user would go back to the command line and would see an error message that says something like, hey... Uh, Winkomutter.exe just crashed at a memory address such and mm -hmm. such, and so what they did was they yeah. would they didn't they weren't able to find the issue. So they what what they did was they changed this error message to "Thank you for playing Wing Commander," and so that would display every time <laughs> you quit the game. Oh, that's brilliant! That's brilliant. So of course, um, uh... if, you have, if you encounter an exception in the logs or whatever, it would also say "Thank you for playing Wing Commander." But I mean, like it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the sort of thing that you could probably uh use a macro or something so that the you, you have a, a dev version that doesn't give you that error message right yeah um but i, I honestly I, I i if i think about it though that fix that i found at the time it was like a bob mm. ross moment right oh my, my ui is like this and now everything's magically working and i'm like ah, oh, cool happy accidents keep moving mm -hmm. um and i guess to some degree i thought i'd solved the issue in amongst my other fixes and attempts at optimizing the engine underneath uh 
only to be faced with the fact that when I then went and it's been through several successive rewrites, right? I've had um, the Objective-C version made back then. Then there was the Swift port of it a couple of years later, um, which was almost literally just a direct translation of the Objective-C code. And then two years ago, I was pulling together the current version of GoVJ. And um, within that, at the time, I was programming in the, the router design pattern. Uh, so the UI and everything is all in the design pattern that I laid out for that. Uh, but really, at that point in time, two years back, the big deal was that I found some of the issues that were causing this latency. Ooh, what the issues? Effectively, I can't, I can't really get into the depth of it even now because I found it, I fixed it, everything sort of clicked into place. So I was like, is it yeah, because you're is under working. NDA, Dave? Is it because you cannot tell? Uh, it is a secret. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> sorry, that creep. <laughs> ASMR-style Daniel whispering. <laughs> Crikey. I'd, I'd love to be able to claim I was under NDA for my own app, Daniel, but unfortunately yeah. not. Uh, <laughs> no, I, it, there's nothing secret about how I fixed it either. Um, it's no secret source for anything, but, um, yeah, it's been a while and I can't remember is the honest answer to that. And that happens too, right? You end up fixing these things, you three yeah. levels down, and it's only when you're actually back there that you can can really explain what you've done. But um, anyway, I fixed it. That was a couple of years back. SwiftUI router version went live uh, in July, I think it was, uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, we talked a lot about, into... about that at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a change into a subscription uh, model for the app as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that's been live ever since then. And I've I've added to it, I've updated it. But I'm kind of the reason I'm talking about this, Daniel, is this links right into what I'm doing right now. I am once again rebuilding my app. <laughs> I was trying to um, segue into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's true. It, it, this it, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, how are you, how is it how's the how's that faring? Like how's it going? What are your goals? Well, yeah, okay. So for context, um 2 years ago I used the router design pattern, which is what I was using in my my day job at the time with the team that I was managing, and it was a very effective pattern for that world. Right? It, it's it's where you the, the main principles of it if you like is that every screen is labeled as such. So, you know, Swift UI, everything's a view. Uh, well, I would specifically call the view that represents the whole screen a screen. It would have a protocol that it would use to talk back to its router. Um, and the router was effectively a glorified view model with an observable object uh, backing it up. And so routers would be, would be like that. They would have this view model component that sort of managed the whole uh, state, if you like, of a flow. Mm -hmm. um, and the route would also be responsible for creating screens and giving those views back to the view layer. All very nicely separated. Bit of a like, minimum that, um, viable in between, separation. In between question. Sorry. 
-hmm. was that uh, well, before SwiftUI or does that work with SwiftUI too? With only with SwiftUI. All right. So the the design pattern here was was very much a case of me trying to assert um, some level of design pattern control over Swift UI, uh, and I've got a blog post about it. Actually, I'll put it in our show notes. We'll we'll link it all up. But um, I had a blog post that guided people through what I did, an example repo. Um, I even had uh, Xcode templates for the router and for the screen and view model pairs. Um, brilliant. However, really, really cool when you've got a team of, say, four or five people trying <laughs> not to tread on each other's toes. Yep. Really, really cool when you want sort of minimum viable dependency injection outside of Swift's environment layer um, and so on and so on. Uh, not so cool when you are a solo indie dev trying to just get stuff done. Um, so it's one of those things where it was easy for me at the time to lean into the design pattern because I was using it day in, day out, and, and using it in a side project was helpful. And we sort of touched on this in the last episode as well as that, like, you know, I sort of end up with a his historical uh, sedimentary layer of design mm -hmm. patterns in my side projects, right, that are representing what was uh, useful for me in my day jobs at the time. So this current refactoring is kind of a, a factory reset. Whew. And yeah, to, to explain that better about, I want to say six months ago, uh, again, we spoke about this at the time, but I, 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 as we were heading up for a house move, I stopped working on my apps for new features mm -hmm. and I started making the Lego block swift packages that i've been using right. for things since yep and they are swift packages that have got things like you know a settings menu that can uh, a setting screen that can be configured mm -hmm. um i've got a paywall package where i can drop my standard kind of paywall in and wire it all up to revenue cat and so on and so on and one of the things I did when making these packages is that I went, ah, okay, I'm not going to use any specific design pattern here. I'm going to use effectively Apple default, everything's in SwiftUI's view layer kind of approach. Uh, so no fancy dependency injection or anything like that. I'm using the environment. Brilliant. Uh, and I found that there was a, a lovely sort of fluidity that started to build up. And I was like, oh, right, okay, I get it. I get why Apple sort of do it this way. Whereas maybe two or three years ago, I just didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and that has had a knock-on effect. So that now I'm sort of coming back to, to add stuff to GoVJ and I'm like, oh my God, it's got this design pattern that's that's actually slowing me down. Um, so I'm ripping it out. <laughs> I'm raising it to the ground. Um, yeah. How bad yeah, is which, that? Which like, may not. How well, how much work hmm. is is um, freeing one view of um, the router pattern? It has cascade effect, right? Because as soon as you get rid of one bit or you try and change one bit, you've then got to solve the flow on problem of well, now this doesn't connect to anything. Uh, so I'd end up quite quite literally with screens where they've got, say, a back button or a dismiss button. 
and that it doesn't work mm-hmm. because there's no router to listen to that response to then go and change the presenting value. And so you sort of solve one bit in a screen and then you've got to come back up to the router level and remove that bit. And then that cascades to the other screens that the router held on to. Um, and so what's happening really is that I'm, I'm ending up in these kind of very deep uh, weed whacking kind of uh, sessions with a router and its associated child views. Like I'm having to go sort of block by block, flow deep by in flow. A, deep in the jungle with your machete and <laughs> just like trying not to get yeah. lost. <laughs> and okay, it's, it, but it's, the, it's, the code, yeah. the view code, like the, the layout code, that, that you can reuse that, right? So it's not a complete rewrite of, yeah. a, of a view or something. Yeah. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of different concepts that I've got a sort of uh, way here as well so i had a injection dependency injection method where i'm using property wrappers and so i can just i've got a property wrapper called injected so i just write hat injected and then off there i can then call down using key value paths in brackets after that uh, the thing that i want to bring down into the view model typically Uh, and i've not changed that Right, there's no reason to change that. The only thing that I have changed there is that uh, in some cases, my router would be creating the view models and giving them to the views. And so I'm, I'm shutting that door. There is no more of that responsibility. And that means a view has to create their own view model um, on instantiation, as it were. And there's some edges with that. Right, just in terms of if there was ever anything that the view model was configured with from the router, then I've got to push it down a level. So I'm solving all these problems, and it's kind of like everything everywhere all at once, right? You know, I've got, <laughs> you fix that one bit, this bit doesn't fit, so you've got to fix that bit, then that bit. And then eventually it compiles, and you run it, and you test it, and you go, yeah, okay, these things are no longer wired up properly. I've got to make sure that, that now I'm, I don't know, this button presents the sheet at the right level. Um, or, or dismisses things appropriately or whatever. Uh, so it's kind of like I'm ripping out what feels like somewhere between a third to maybe 40, 50% of the code and rewriting Whew. in the UI layer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So there is a but point is when you fun? end up doing jobs or like this. Or is that a yeah. chore? It's it's largely a chore. It's fun when ah. it's done, mm-hmm. um, and it feels feels like fresh snow when it's all done. And you look back <laughs> and you're like, "Ah, oh, cool, yeah, yeah." That, that, oh, it's that like works. when you're cleaning the kitchen um, or the whole apartment is just like done, and you're like, "Oh, this is so nice." Yes, but in the meantime, to follow that analogy, it's like you start with a view, um, and you make a clean spot. And then that entire side of the kitchen then needs to be done because you've made one clean spot. And, you know, bit, it's happening in bits by bit. Like each each router is a different work surface. Um, so eventually I'll have a clean room and users won't be able to tell any difference <laughs> if I've done my job properly. Yeah. Uh, and so the question then comes, well, why bother, right? The app works. Why not just leave it as it is? Uh, the honest answer to that is, is that I wanted to make this change, but the, 
the logical underpinning, if you like, is that as I wire in these these Lego blocks, it makes more sense if the rest of the app is is sort of working in this this uh, much more like uh, Apple default Swift UI way of working, if you like. Um, equally, I, I suspect my suspicion here is that by sort of choosing that as my lowest common denominator. It kind of doesn't really matter what design patterns I'm using in my day job, as it were, right? Yeah. They're, they're there. This is here. Uh, and I think that's going to be useful in the course of time. I feel that, especially because you say like, oh, yeah, it's just like you, need, you, you don't need to do it. But what this enables you to do is it enables you to keep your motivation and your velocity high. And those are really important, mm -hmm. especially because this is your side project. So yes. because it's your side project, you want to make everything as easy as possible for you. And you may, you want you need to make it like, especially you haven't worked on it for a week or two and you come back. And now if you have to really get into a complicated pattern again, like that might maybe mm -hmm. hard. Whereas like, if you just like, if it's just like, oh yeah, this is, everything is easy to do and you you can touch everywhere and just like immediately fight, uh, get a cool result. That is definitely worth something. And on top Absolutely, of that, yeah. it is your side project. So you're allowed to do things that are just fun or just, or just you want to do them. That's the other thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the, the, the thing here is it's a bit of preparation as well um, in terms of, I'm going to be working on Go VJ Pro in another mm -hmm. month or two. That's my plan. Uh, and before I get into the sort of Go VJ Pro mode, if you like, uh, I want so, to have wait, everything. So the decision has been made to go here. forward with mm -hmm. Go VJ Pro. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it has been made. Fantastic news. Mm -hmm. I've had a reasonable amount of of feedback from the landing page like enough to show me that there is some interest there and uh, there, there was an element of this was always going to happen in one way mm. or another right the only thing up for debate was whether i would do it over a longer period of time or a shorter period of time right and what i've realized is there's enough interest out there for it to be worth me giving it a shot and I have enough personal interest and motivation to really give it a good go. Like the design that I made for the landing page, I'm kind of in love with it. I keep thinking about it. It keeps pulling me back and I'm like, oh, I've got to build the thing. I've got to build the thing. Um, so weed whacking the original Go VJ code base is, it feels like I'm sort of limbering up for that as well. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to have a shared code base, but the uh, the video library that is one of my Lego blocks that I've been working on for the last six months, uh, that doesn't exist in regular GoVJ today. I've got the old version of the library mm -hmm. there at the moment. So by doing this sort of refactor, I will then, the final stroke of that is to then patch in the new video engine. Uh and what that will do for me is that will let me kind of road test wiring up this video engine to a set of controls in an existing app with existing behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, I'm going to have to refactor some of the video engine. So 
but I, at the moment I don't quite know exactly how that's all going to come together. So if I do it with the existing app, it's a known quantity. I've got known expected UX and behavior, and that will let me tune the engine's hooks, if you like, for the for the UI. Mm-hmm. But it uh, doesn't give I'm you the a fun app. of just rewriting everything. Pardon? But it doesn't give you the fun of just just like starting from scratch. Uh, no. <laughs> No, which will be the new pro- that'll be the new- that'll be the new project, and that's okay. Did I derail your train of thought um, there, but what I'm saying, sorry, you did, you totally did. We also had a little bit of lag in the call, uh, which shouldn't be noticeable when this all comes together for YouTube. But uh, you, because the way the service works, um, I get a lower quality video call while we speak, and then the higher quality gets uploaded behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Daniel. Yeah, I, I, it skipped out as you were talking, but. I think what you were saying was that doesn't give me the fun of a whole refactor, a whole rewrite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's okay. I mean, like what I'm saying here though, is I've got my video engine is sort of ready to go at the moment though. It's not battle tested. It hasn't really been used in any, anything other than test apps. So by bringing that back into the existing app, I will be able to kick its tires without also worrying about the UX of a new app. And then that should hopefully mean that I can go straight into the pro development and everything's sort of good to start using straight out of the box. So yeah. we shall see. I think I think there's also the, the right approach. So I said I said earlier, yeah, that doesn't give you the warm, warm, fun feeling of rewriting everything. But I think mm-hmm. one thing that we have said on this show again and again is that um, rewriting everything is usually more work than it seems at the time and it's mostly not mm-hmm. the, not the, not the, um, the, a good idea like if you really want to rewrite everything like go ahead of course but like it's probably not the right idea and I think um, like it's also not the right idea in your case like especially if you have all that UI already to work with this stuff. So yeah, that's exactly the the right approach, I think. It'll let me test out a few things, right? I've not just got the UI to consider with this sort of an app. I've also got the um, the MIDI layer that I added last year um, and, and how that interacts with the, the uh, video mixing engine that you're controlling. Um, I want to extend that and add um, gamepad and joystick inputs as well so you can use like hmm. a, a playstation controller with the app um that's a whole other thing i'll get into later in the year i guess but uh yeah i guess all this to say at the moment it feels like i'm editing a lot of code that i'm writing uh, rewriting a whole bunch of stuff um it's kind of not very fulfilling but the end goal is um and hopefully I'll be a bit more enthusiastic about where things are sort of when we catch up <laughs> in a week or two. Um, but these things, these things are things that devs do every now and again. These are things that I think we all, all sort of think about in one way or another, even if it's just a case of like, well, I've made version one of the thing and actually version two needs to take so many things into consideration. I may as well start again, for example, right? You sort yeah. of end up in that, that kind of, Stage I like to think of, easily, think of often. that that this is basically what the phrase technical debt actually means. Like some mm-hmm. points in the development, 
you know you're doing you're not doing everything perfectly right because that's just not where your app is at or that's not where your company or you as a person are at like so you just like you do it like the best way that is appropriate for the situation but that means you incur technical debt and then at the later time you pay yep. it back with one of those weed whacking yep. sessions and that's just the way it is and it's just you just got to accept that this is also part of uh, sometimes you you need to clean your house yes Yes. And I, I think I described this once in a, a corporate kind of setting where I needed buy-in, right? I needed buy-in from pro product owners and, and various other people to actually go and pay down some some uh, technical debt mm -hmm. before we could start adding new features. Because I knew that if we added a whole load of new stuff to what existed, it was just going to be like a, a very unstable stack of cards after a point in time. Yeah. And the way I sold it to those people at the time uh, was I turned it on its head and I described it as technical credit. Right? Okay. So tell me more. Uh, I said that rather than it being technical debt, we have to pay because we owe it. What we're actually doing is we're getting ourselves into credit to be able to add new features. It was okay. a very kind of political sleight of hand if you like but they really love this idea of it it's not technical debt it's technical credit pay it now oh, yeah. and we can debt do nice bad, things but credit is good yeah i can see that maybe we should all as yeah, a yeah, community yeah. embrace that like if you I, I, if your development I still is like slow, the idea right it's not because you're in debt it's just like because you haven't built up the credit yes Yes, exactly. And, and and so there was this idea of like um, getting yourself into credit first before then being able to go and do a lot of new things. It's the same concept, right? You know, you're, it's either paying your debts before you can, can move on or it's getting some credit up front to give you a buffer to do good things. Like it doesn't really matter. You're sort of describing the same process. You've still got to go and do the refactor or whatever it is to make things stable. Um, but it was a good vehicle for those people around me to understand what we were doing and to understand it wasn't because the code base was bad. Uh, I think that was the, the big, the big issue, if you like that sort of explanation of like, well, why do we have to rebuild things? Did we not do it properly the first time? And it's like, we did within the realms of what it was doing. We are now trying to get ahead of ourselves, if you like, to lay down the, the groundwork for the next thing. Um, and that landed, that landed well at the time with those people for me. Very good. But, uh, I like that on my own. I don't need to sell myself on this, right? I'm already in, uh, but I think I am, th I am seeing it through that lens, right? It's not like, Oh, I've got to rebuild this cause it's ab absolute rubbish. It's I'm shoring it up so that my next round of development for the rest of the year um, is going to be a much happier sort of place, a much more stable kind of place. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. So For me, it's it's always the, it's the, bit of a grind. the clean house metaphor, basically. Like, yeah. if if the whole building is in rubble, I need to do a lot of lot of built up work. But like, if the building is sound, but this is just like everything is like the walls are dirty, then I need to the paint the walls. But if it's, if everything is 
like stable is just like there's like it's just messy then maybe i will have to clean it up and maybe like today is not the day where i clean stuff up yeah yeah, yeah exactly we wanted earlier and i stopped you because we weren't recording <laughs> we wanted to talk about watch bands <laughs> okay. or watch straps and um i think that'd be a nice way to round out the show actually then yeah so just for for v for viewers they'll be able to see in a second and for listeners will describe it but it just so turns out we're wearing, yeah, we're wearing the, same the same type of watch band yeah exactly um it's we are the, yin and yang it's the sports band with the holes is it the nike band i don't know yeah yeah uh, yeah so minus, I've got the minus... black one daniel's got the white and black one right exactly and I was saying that this is actually one of my favorite watch bands because it just feels very nice on your skin and the holes mean you're not sweating. And I recently, though, I recently discovered that I do like the, um, oh, I forgot the name. I forgot the name again, even though I Googled it earlier. <laughs> um, fabric? I really, really like sports the fabric, fabric band. The sports fabric band. Hang on. I actually, yeah. I have the page here, the sport loop. That's the one. And sport loop. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I never bought a sport loop because just from the pictures, it just doesn't look like comfortable to me. It just doesn't look good to me. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like, what is, what is this? And um then a few months ago I need to needed to wear a suit and I wanted to have a watch band with like that fit with the color. And so I just popped into the Apple store and was like, okay, what do they have? That is like a single shade of dark color. And I settled on a midnight colored sport loop. And hey. what can I say? This thing is so incredibly comfortable. Like um it's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and um like i always thought it would be scratchy somehow but it's like like it's really soft and that like, caresses your skin in a very nice way um <laughs> and yeah and then even like i was talking to lisa about this um and and she was like yeah uh, i like apple watches but like she has um very sensitive skin like she has a, a thing i think uh where mm -hmm. like pressure on her skin is like especially bad for her and so she was like yeah she likes her apple watch she recently got one but it's actually like not perfect to, to wear and so i was like okay you know what let's switch bands for a second and like here you can wear my mm -hmm. sport loop for until we meet again like in a week or so and um so yeah and I, like i hear good things from her as well so i'm oh, thinking you'll never get me at back, some point Daniel. Yeah, probably. I'm thinking at some point I I need to like buy another sport loop. And also what I really want yes. is actually one of the that like you know the Apple Watch Ultra has this this bright orange band. I really yep. want that, but I don't have an Ultra. So I probably won't okay. be able to. But I love that. I love those the the, the uh, Apple Watch Ultra bands. Like they're just nice. I'm just having a look now. Yeah, they're the, the you ocean can buy band. them, but they are orange for the, ocean the ultra. Band. That's right. Need a forty-nine millimeter watch, which is the ultra. Should I get an ultra? Yeah. I should probably get an ultra, right? Should don't ask me that. I'm an enabler. I will turn around and say, "Just get it, Daniel. It's beautiful. <laughs> Do it." <laughs> no, the thing is, the thing is, I'm wearing the forty-one millimeter watch. Um, that's the smaller one because I have mm -hmm. like little dainty wrists. 
And also I like how it yep. looks on my wrist. Um, but at the same time, I'm really getting back into cycling. And um, yeah. right now that is mostly indoors, but at, at some point I'm going to go um, back into the mode where I spent like at least and, and, and basically an entire day on the bike. And yeah, the watch, the normal 41 millimeter Apple watch can do that if it is less than a year old or if yeah. you disable always on screen. If it's like okay. in my experience, if it's more than a year old, so that the battery has just has gone through a lot of cycles, it will probably not make it. And then you have this this choice where it's like, okay, it's been like six hours of like sporty activity. Do I turn off the activity so that it gets saved, or mm -hmm. do I continue and risk it lo risk losing it because <laughs> the watch will just turn off at some Ooh. point. I don't like and the so, anxiety with that. <laughs> yeah. And so I've been thinking, ah, oh, should should I get an ultra? But then I look at the prices and then I'm I'm cured. Ah, uh, yeah, don't don't get me started on on Apple. Oh, but look at that price. Oh, Apple Apple, Apple fine woven has so you've I already always sold wanted... yourself, haven't you? <laughs> so uh, so Apple used to have leather bands and they, they don't sell those anymore because they say they're going away from, from leather um, because of the environment and I assume animal animal rights. And um, so now they've replaced this with fine woven and they never had the, um, the blue leather band. They never had that for the 41 millimeter watch. They always only had it for the bigger watches. And now I'm seeing yeah. here on that page because of course I'm browsing the Apple store is they have the Pacific Blue Magnetic Link uh, fine woven band. They have that in the, in, in my yep. size and it looks really nice. But at the same time, I'm hearing everyone is talking about the fact that fine woven is, yep. is like very um, easy to scratch. And okay. this is like a hundred bucks. So I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe I saw a lot of, not. uh, a lot of feedback on fine wave monot feedback people posting uh to mastodon and things um saying it wasn't very much good uh so i would have reservations about that for sure about going all in on one of those but um yeah. the ultra itself though daniel everyone i know who's bought one loves it yeah yeah so <laughs> yes it's expensive if, um but yeah if if you're out there doing lots of sporty activity this summer i reckon it could be worth it yeah if you want to support me get a telemetry dexo subscription <laughs> always be selling always um, be selling um no but if you uh listen to the show and you have a fine woven watch band i really would like to hear from you how it fares in your day-to-day -day life yeah, and I would say also, whatever Dave, social media or platform people find have found us on, they should at you yeah. if they think you should get an ultra. I think we should pressure, <laughs> peer pressure Daniel into making an expensive purchase. Ah, thank you so much for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, please, please do, please do. Just, just peer pressure me into spending money. Um, Dave... What band mm -hmm. did you get with your Vision Pro? Because like mine arrived, my Vision Pro arrived just yesterday because it's like 
February three or four or something when the when that when this episode is released, right? Yep. Yep. So I got for my for my um for my Vision Pro, I got the Hermes double tour uh strap. You're getting a Vision Pro, Daniel, for real. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was, I was <laughs> not getting a mission. Pro. I uh, don't think it would be right now at where I'm at with my life and with my development story. I don't think it would make a lot of sense for me. Yep. Yep. My accountant said no, basically. Yeah. Um, on that note, Daniel, I'm afraid I'm going to have to wrap up for today. <laughs> Uh, and I am very much deciding to leave this before we talk more about the Vision Pro. We can talk more about the Vision Pro on a, a future episode, I think. You're just, you're just afraid of uh, the, the thing that I have in the topic uh, document. You said, yeah, you, said you would swear at me. When it, you, you said you would swear at me as soon as I asked you that question. So I'm very much looking forward to doing that. That's not this show. That's another time. <laughs> That is another time. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'll swear at you, but um, yeah, it'll be a, a, a uh, hopefully an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. It's like why. Oh, yeah. Before we go, though, why before the we Vision go, Pro or not? Earlier, earlier when we started recording, your microphone gave out, but your video was still visible. Mm -hmm. we, like there was, um, there was a situation, like it was quickly rectified, but <laughs> I only saw you, but I didn't hear you, but I, I saw your mouth form very, very bad words. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I recognize that. It started in F and ended in F, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, people shouldn't be surprised. I, I, yeah, I definitely swear a fair amount. Um, I try and avoid it on the show, but, uh, I'm a lip reader. Sometimes it slips out. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> if you can, if you can, uh, read lips or if you want to talk to us about the vision pro or Apple watch ultra or our development journey, or if you have a question, please write us at contact at waiting for review.com. Uh, follow us on YouTube, on where you ever get, you get podcasts, on threads, on Instagram, and on mm -hmm. TikTok, because we're everywhere. Uh, mostly we are WFR pod, but otherwise just search for the name of the podcast. And you can also write us directly. Where can people find you, Dave? Uh, people can find me on Mastodon and the Fediverse at Dave at social.lightbeamapps.com. And you can find out more about my apps just at lightbeamapps.com. How about yourself, Daniel? Yeah, please buy the biggest subscription on telemetrydeck.com if you want to enable me buying lots of stuff. And also write me at daniel at social.telemetrydeck.com. You can write me on Mastodon. And I haven't blocked threads, so you can also write me on threads at that account. I think that's possible now. I'm not 100% sure. Like, if, you, if, if it is, please mention me. I want to see how that works. All right, Dave, have a fantastic day. And see you soon. Yep. Cheers, Daniel. Catch you again. Bye. Bye.